everyone welcome back to latter day takes i hope you had a wonderful weekend i certainly did uh for many reasons but first and foremost worth mentioning is the byu and arizona state football game which is great i'll get to that a little bit um we'll talk about that but i wanted to start off today's podcast with a rant so before we get to part two of talking with my mom last friday which hope you all enjoyed that i generally that's my mom's pretty much one of the most popular people i bring on because everybody's always loving it um but real quick i'm gonna take i don't know how long because i'm recording it right now i don't know how long it's gonna take but it could be a few minutes um and i want to go on a little bit of a rant because a friend of mine sent me this uh it was a video of i i don't know it was it was one of the more cringy videos i've seen that surfaced after the BYU Utah football game last week. It was a video of three people, Ute fans. I guess they're kind of doing their own podcast or something. I don't know, kind of like how what I do. Sure, right? That's fine. Their prerogative. But they give out these loser awards apparently, and specifically last week they gave out a loser award to Kalani Satake. I think that's how you say his last name, Satake. Whatever, Kalani Satake. And one of the more ridiculous things that I noticed about this you know, loser award that they called it, that they're giving out, is that it was started, it, the, the whole rant thing for this loser award was started by, I don't know, this guy had to have been like at least 55 years old, wearing a fitted backwards hat, you know, which is like something you don't see a whole lot if you don't play baseball. Um, and he was wearing it backwards, and he starts ranting He's that he didn't like this Satake was Fired up on the sideline for the game, getting his players going, dancing, etc. Um, and no joke, this guy actually said, this fitted cap backwards wearing geriatric says, that was really uncool. I mean, that's one of the more ironic things he could have said in that moment. I can't think of anything more ironic, actually, that he could have said. It was amazing. And then all three in the video start eventually going off on how much they hated Sataki's excitedness in the game, like, and like just kind of going after him for just how into it he got. And I'm like sitting here, just like, well, tough. Sh- you know what? Like you, we had to go through eleven years of hell as BYU fans due to nine victories in a row by you jackasses, and you're going to give us crap because our coach was doing all he could to fire up his guys. Like I get that you're upset. You didn't want to lose to us. It's a legit rivalry, but you didn't want to admit it. Well, now you've admitted it by using the most nitpicky thing from that game and ranting about how uncool it was. So please spare all of us. You'd think you could cut a guy more slack that spent his young, formative coaching years using the same tactics to fire up your former players so you could start the game, the nine-game win streak against your rival. How quickly that has been forgotten. If you want to make an actual case for the ironic uncool award that you guys are giving out, maybe you should look to our kicker, Jake Oldroyd, who makes his first 30-yard field goal of the season and sticks his arms out like he's a second coming and then goes on to miss a 30-yard extra point right after that. That was kind of a loser thing to do, I think, quite frankly. looked terrible. If you're going to give out awards for being losers, maybe don't be a loser. I don't know. Simple as that, right? Anyway, I needed to get that off my chest because that that video really just did not sit right with me. And obviously it triggered me, quite frankly. Hashtag triggered. I just, I'm I'm triggered. They triggered me. Whatever, I'll admit it. Um, 
Anyway, the BYU-ASU game was wildly entertaining. BYU is now 15th in the nation. I didn't really see that coming. I did maybe after the game. I thought that was possible. But still, 15th by week four, going into week four for college football. That's surprising. There's a like a legitimate shot that BYU runs the table here now if they keep this up. And that will be really interesting how that shakes out. So it was quite a game. I think Arizona State basically lost it on their own, it kind of seemed like, just with how the turnovers they committed and all the penalties and everything. It was a, kind of a mess. Um, BYU played well. And they were they were disciplined and they were sound, and that's what won them the game. So you can't take credit away from them there. But Arizona State really did do a ton to help out BYU. There's no question about that. And clearly Tyler Algier with the play of the game as a running back running down a dude that had intercepted a pass from Jaron Hall and causing a fumble on the other side of the field and giving us the ball back. I mean that that prevented a huge swing in points. I guess technically a seven. Uh, because we did not score going the other way. But regardless, uh, it was it was a heck of a play by Tyler Algier. It was a really fun game to watch. Um, it's exciting. BYU football seems like they're really on a roll right now, but we'll see. They'll break our hearts eventually. You uh, Mark my words. They will break our hearts. Anyway, I hope you all had a great weekend. Like I said, I hope you're great, gearing up for a great week, and I hope you enjoy this part too. It's it's good. It closes out well. Um, my, I can talk to my mom forever, and I, she will absolutely be on again. She is she has her own podcast now. For those that aren't aware, that listen to mine, which I think a lot of you probably are by now, anyway. But it's called Choosing Glory with Lily Anderson. We talk about that a little bit, I think, in part one. But yeah, go track it down. It's it's a nice supplemental uh, podcast to kind of the uh, Come Follow Me manual, and so it's. If you're looking for more info in that regard, by all means, give her a follow. Subscribe to her podcast, and she should be on every um, every outlet for podcasts. And anyway, hope you enjoy it, and we'll be back probably Thursday and uh, get you another episode this week. Love you all. Have a good one. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the yes. best cult. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not most drinking. It, and they're like not cussing. They're like, Slovis, you stink. <laughs> I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, the Mormons were the correct answer. Because God loves Mormons and he wants some more. Shout out to the Latter-day Saints. So anyway, what I'm saying is that, you know, some people think that like, oh, I was just cursed with too much testosterone. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. It's what you do with it that keeps it in healthy levels where you're a real guy, but you're actually committed to the good and you become a blessing to everybody who's around you. And that's what I ended up telling your brother. It was that because he was concerned, like, I don't want to be a guy who turns into somebody who's dangerous to women or children. Like, how does that happen? And how can I make sure I avoid it? And it was so obvious. I was like, well, what God is providing here is this perfect harness. So if you honor your priesthood, by definition, you will never be dangerous to anybody. 
you'll only be a blessing. You'll be able to lift, save, serve, you know, the people around you. You'll make them safer because you're a good man. Yeah. So this is the part that I think you probably haven't heard of before that is very much along these lines. It's fascinating. Have you heard of the movement, so to speak? It's called semen retention? No. Okay, so apparently there's a statistic out there. I've seen this within scientific research, which I'll take that for what it's worth, right? Because we tend to throw out scientific evidence whenever it's convenient and then take it in when it (laughs) is also convenient. So there's when you withhold from ejaculation, Mm -hmm. that testosterone is reabsorbed back into your body. But the male, I've heard. Um, First off, have you heard that before that it gets reabsorbed yeah so i've heard that from pretty like from psychologists who have said that it, it would be biologists would need to weigh in on that probably yeah i mean but i've heard it from psychologists okay. and you're right it is biological obviously um that would be the research but psychologists may know a thing or two about kind of how testosterone can work in somebody's psychosis and things like that i don't know but um i think that's fascinating in a sense because there is kind of that movement of semen retention which it's not just about getting that reabsorption. It's about kind of harnessing that testosterone and kind of having more control and not just... But the idea is basically don't masturbate, don't look at pornography, and use that as a type of power to be just, you know, more of just a better man or person or whatever exactly. I'm not totally sure. I'm actually not really... in. I'm definitely not involved in this group. I've just seen it kind of fascinatingly enough here and there. And I was curious to get your thoughts on it. And along those same lines, I remember hearing something about how Mike Tyson would prepare for his boxing matches. And I don't think this is uncommon in the fighting realm specifically, is that he wouldn't have sex for however many months before a fight. I think that a lot of athletes talk about that here and there, you know, that they won't have sex um, for at least some period before a big event, you know, a big um, athletic endeavor. And um, and that actually would make sense, wouldn't it? I um, I think anything that helps to motivate people to avoid the self indulgence of masturbation and you know, looking at pornography is a good thing. Well, there's obviously, actually, there's a clear discipline just at bay. Uh, sorry, well, at hand certainly. that helps. And I and I think that yeah, if that helps to reframe it in a good way and say that like, look, there's even a potential gain in strength and masculinity and so on. Um, just kind of the other side of it is that there's actually something called PIED porn-induced erectile dysfunction. Yeah, I've heard of that. So that has become a big issue, too, because, you know, porn's so available and so many people have struggled. And it's fantastical, and I mean that in the sense where it's not real life. it's fantasy. That's right. It's a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit of the real deal. But it's so, you know, manipulated. I mean, you're able to manipulate it any way you want. So anyway, it becomes this really self-indulgent kind of thing, and and it does create problems with the normal sexual functional for men. When you're dealing with another human being. With when you're in a real yeah. relationship. Which even then, we've heard enough, too, that... Because um, the, the antithesis to that might be, well, as long as they're into it as much as you are, it's not a big mm-hmm. deal. And I've seen enough stuff on Fight the New Drug out there that says... Porn is like ruined relationships left and right. And that's why they have that T-shirt, Porn Kills Love. Right. It does. And, and I've seen it too. In fact, there are studies that show that guys that use porn, um, when they are given some kind of survey questions about how, positive they, how positively they view their partners, they score much lower than guys who are not using porn. 
So, you know, it's Go obvious figure. when you think about yeah. it. Yeah. So clearly, you know, again, they get lost in the fantasy and they're not, you know, able to deal with real life and they don't appreciate it for what it is. I, this has been so tragic. I remember seeing this so many times in, in my work that um, there would be like a wife that would come in and she's beautiful. I mean, really objectively beautiful. And she would just sit there and sob because, you know, her husband had no desire for her because he was so involved in porn. And you're just like, this is so awful mm-hmm. on every level. You know, just the damage it's doing to him, the damage it's doing to her. What do you think the kids get, you know, being in a home like that? I mean, the tragedy is enormous. So anyway, I, this is an interesting idea. I have to look it up. Semen retention, because, you know, it would kind of fit with the kinds of things we see that they're... Yeah. And certainly it's, I mean, really, for decades I've heard that elite athletes, you know, male athletes are like, you know no women (laughs) not gonna be with my wife or whatever before you um, wonder if it kind of gives a sense of clarity and focus as well that they just kind of haphazardly kind of stumble upon where they're like it's something's different when i do that so i'm just gonna keep doing it because i i bet it's all related personally i don't think it's necessarily a strict testosterone thing or maybe it is that affects the brain in a positive way when it's harnessed like that so to speak but it does make you wonder because there are enough anecdotal stories that highlight that same idea and there's got to be something to it it would seem so and i know i'd agree with that i think that's and that's really interesting and i would be interested in the biology of it you know if they can really measure testosterone levels in a way that that reflects that accurately or at least gives us a pretty good ballpark um i wanted to go back because it occurs to me that we did not finish the alma 43 story and right. for those who may not be very familiar with it I mean, it's, you know, there are lots of battles in the, in the Book of Mormon, so it's hard to remember every one, right? But this is the one where, uh, as we said, they're just, the, test, the Lamanites are so ferocious in their attacks that they describe them as fighting like dragons. Right. And the Nephites fell back. They, they fell back against that onslaught. And as they fell back, their leaders, you know, sent the word down the line. And it's recorded right there in Scripture I'm paraphrasing, of course, but, you know, remember what you're fighting for, for your wives, for your children, for your, you know, for your freedom, for your God. And, and they pass that word down the line to all the troops. And, and these men who are being attacked by unharnessed testosterone, which is ferocious and destructive, but when they harness their motive, their, their goals to the right things for their families, for their God, they push back that incredible onslaught of unharnessed testosterone. In other words, the, the good always, always beats the bad, always. And I mean, I recognize that on this planet, sometimes bad guys win temporarily. The costs we will see someday, you know, what, what it costs there, and, and that will all be reconciled. But in these moments where God is fighting on the side of the Nephites because of their righteousness, there was nothing that could stop those men who were harnessing their strength to the right causes. Well, and they, they were outnumbered, right, in that battle, I believe. I don't know if they give us numbers, but clearly, clearly, and usually they were, because the Lamanites multiplied yeah. much more rapidly than the Nephites, yeah. and that is mentioned several times in the book And what's funny about that is that's not necessarily due to just big family sizes. No. In fact, I think it's more because they were able, the tribalization, they were able to just bring in the masses because people were like, oh, you don't really have norms or values here like i can do this that could be this kind of I mean, because they take on other other, other tribes well, it seems like certainly throughout the, the book nephites of you know had dissenters all along right so they did kind former, of, former nephites you know, left and right absolutely yeah, yeah. so i yeah. mean lamanites it was more of a movement than anything else let's be honest but 
I suppose so. But anyway, so you I, see this I, beautiful, you see this beautiful conclusion that, that is right there with what we're talking about. It's right there that unharnessed testosterone is ferocious and destructive, but harnessed testosterone can prevail and does prevail because it, you're on the side of the angels and the angels are on your side. It's marvelous the power that that comes and you think about it. Good men have saved the civilized world again and again and again and again in recorded history. Like they're just wonderful stories of what good men can do. And they're willing to give it all. I mean, and that is a testosterone thing. You know, I mean, they're willing to go out and, and fight and, you know, battle and and you know, just put their very existence on the line. For good causes, and you know, I have wept when I've read stories of of heroes, and have been so grateful for good men. And I just want there to be more of them. I just want men to recognize that this is the pinnacle. This is the pinnacle of manhood: to honor the priesthood, to honor God, to really obey the commandments, to harness our appetites. You know, you think about it, and this is another principle that I talk about a lot, and I know you've heard this, but I talk about how, you know, God is our Father, and he has all power. That's one of the words we use to describe him, omnipotent. And he wants nothing more than to give that power to his children. That's what he wants. Everything he has, he offers to us. But there have to be restrictions about when he can give that to us, because he's too wise to give power to people who can't control it. I you know, used to say things like, you know, you can't give a chainsaw to a three-year-old because the three-year-old is going to kill himself and take a few other people out with him. So God, of course, will not do that. He will not give power to people who can't handle it because it would be destructive to them and to others. So every covenant we make with God is a covenant of power. Every single one. The covenant of baptism gives us power to enter the celestial kingdom. The covenant, the endowment gives us power to enter the highest level of the celestial kingdom and to be a part of an eternal family. The covenants of the priesthood are, of course, about power. We talk about priesthood power all the time. That's the power of God. So anyway, all these covenants that we make are opportunities for God to grant us portions of his power as soon as we are ready to receive it. And how is that going to happen? By harnessing our natural man. So whether it's testosterone or estrogen or whatever, you know, because women have to do that too. We have to harness our appetites. We have to do it God's way, not our way. I remember something you said actually when you were a professor at BYU was that um, God doesn't make exceptions for time of the month, speaking of estrogen. (laughs) Speaking of estrogen, that's right, because that's how I taught my girls. And you heard that too. My boys heard that too. That like the commandments are the commandments. And I was talking about myself too because I was – pregnant a lot during those days you know and I got really tired when I was when I would get pregnant I didn't get so sick like some women do but I I was exhausted and but I I remember saying to you kids like that doesn't give me an excuse for being cranky or you know losing my temper or whatever because the commandments don't change when you're pregnant or when you're not or when you're nursing or you're not or when it's that time of the month or not or when you have a testosterone surge or not it's it's just not it's not about that the commandments are the commandments because god wants us to be boringly consistent about our obedience so he can basically as we say set the clock by our obedience he can trust us he can turn his back on us and we will be obedient no matter what and that's what joseph smith said you want to qualify for calling an election made sure well a man is or is going to have to demonstrate that he will serve god at all hazards was the phrase joseph smith used at all hazards no matter what no matter what temptation no matter what distraction no matter what you know cost 
in popularity or in persecution or whatever, but you will serve the Lord and then he can give us power. And he is kind, so he might give us a portion of it here or there, but he is not going to give us the whole deal until we can handle it because he does not give chainsaws to three-year-olds. And if I want that, and I do, I want the power of God because it's the power that allows me to become the best version of myself. It helps me maximize and optimize all my talents and abilities and for ordinations. I mean, I, I want that, but it can only come based on obedience, which is why so many of the prophets have said obedience is the first law of heaven. You want power to advance in this kingdom, to advance in your growth and development? Obey. And again, with boring consistency. Well, I've even said, actually, no joke, that I haven't heard that put this way, and it's not an original idea, but I put it this way, and it seemed like an original way of putting it, at least, which was God's obedience is his power. I like it. And I absolutely believe that because the prophets do talk about this, how, you know, there are universal principles and laws, and it's because God keeps within yeah. those that he has the capacity to Yeah, like I said, it's, not, the it's certainly not my idea. I just no, like that. No, it's a nice way, way to put, put it. it yeah. It's a nice way to put it, and I do believe that. His power is his obedience. We want his power, and when I say want it, not in any kind of like, you know, weird yeah, aspirational gimme, gimme, way, gimme, yeah, yeah, but just just because he offers it, and because yeah. that he's telling us that this is well, who it's we are meant to too. be. It's endless. I don't think there's a law of nature that says it's limited. I think it's saying whoever is obedient has access to this power. That's right. It, it, that's right. That's what it is. If I can bring myself in compliance with the universe's demands, and of course there are many universes, but whatever that is, what, right. what existence demands then, then I have access, and it is granted by a loving God who has given us a, a program, a path a by which yeah. a blueprint by which we can we can reach that stature where where we can access it too. And and why wouldn't we? Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't we? Now I know a lot of people won't. You know, it's really not for sissies because it is hard to be. It's not easy. Fully obedient, yeah. but it's uh, in some ways and of course i recognize that the this gospel is, is simple but it's not easy there you go there you go but what i'm going to say is that it's actually so much better than the alternative oh, 100%. You, should, you know we we see people who are you know choosing another way and they're rejecting what god offers and many of these people are in the church but they're forgive me they're kind of half-baked you know they're kind of half-baked saints they're they pick and choose what they want to obey and what they don't and what's convenient and what isn't or you know, we hear nightmare stories about, well, I don't know if people consider them nightmares, but they are to me, about people who have made covenants, but, you know, because they're single again after being married, they feel like, well, there's an exemption for me, and they want to they break the rules and then be, go talk to their bishop. And you're just like, seriously? Seriously? Like, how could you give it to a chainsaw to a person like that? Mm. Like, it's not going to happen, and it's not because that person's a horrible person or, you know, because God doesn't love them. It's just like, it's just not going to happen. You know, you, you are selling your birthright for a mess of pottage that's just that's just what's happening and that's sad to me that's sad i know it's going to happen i know strays the gate narrows the way few there be that find it but how wonderful it is when people find it how wonderful it is when we meet a fellow traveler on that path so i do kind of want to start wrapping things up here um so let's uh i want to kind of close out with these ideas which is I, I am a believer that the reason why the church has certain policies in place of not like nece- like 
kind of like time limited by time like it's like well let's revisit this in three months and then at that point maybe you can get your temple recommend back or things like that mm-hmm, right and they mm-hmm. kind of have more of a it's more kind of letter of the law isn't so much so the church can just say put them in time out i think it's more because the the church understands that there is a natural component to this where you once you sin you now have a proclivity to sin and you are now weaker, and you actually have to show and demonstrate strength. And sometimes that just takes time because that's human nature. And so I don't think it's so much necessarily that the church like says— punitive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the church doesn't say, hey, don't masturbate just because we don't want you to. We don't mm-hmm. want you to feel mm-hmm. that pleasure. Don't look at pornography because we don't want you to feel that pleasure. They say you are seriously risking long-term damage here that can subsequently destroy your life, specifically in your marriage— and it's more because if you grow up in a world where that's unharnessed, where masturbation, pornography takes place on a regular basis, and then the expectation is that when you are married, that it will be at your disposal, mm-hmm. then you're going to wreck your marriage. And I think that's more why the policies are in place. It's not necessarily saying, we just want you to be a certain type of person because we want you to all be robotic. It's saying, if you don't have this harness, like you've been saying, then you're screwing yourself, your marriage, many more people that are in this pathway as well. And really quickly, sorry, and then I'll kind of let you go, and then we'll kind of close it out. But um, along those lines, I heard somebody who's not a member of the church put it this way. He's he was always he's being always encouraging people like because he's actually a political commentator, but he's very much so about like the no masturbation, no pornography. He's like, if you're going to be in a relationship like that, just destroys your relationship. Like, stop doing that. And his whole reasoning is. If you're looking at porn in your marriage and you have to sleep on the couch one night because you have a disagreement with your wife and you're not going to feel that pull back to her. Mm-hmm. He's like, if that is something that you do frequently as an outlet, then what's what's going to push you? What's the motivation? What's the motivation for like making things right with her? Even if you feel like she's wrong, that doesn't matter. And I think that's kind of a pretty pragmatic way of putting it. And I kind of appreciate that from a non – or I should say a secular perspective at least where it's like let's at least yeah, look I'm at the nodding. relationship. Yeah. <laughs> so – Anyway. No, I, I think that's a, that's a fair point. I think that the bigger point here that you're making is that God's commandments are not arbitrary. And he's not just, you know, establishing a bunch of hoops that he wants us to jump to show that we'll do whatever he says. That's not it. There's always a principle behind the, the commandment. And there are always embedded blessings in that commandment that we may not be aware of right now, but that eventually we will. And we'll look back and go like, oh, my heavens, because I was obedient to that, all these things happened that I wasn't even aware of that were kind of flying under the radar, but like, wow. And I have seen that. And I do have on another podcast, the one about the word wisdom that I talk about embedded blessings that I found. Remember that one? In, I don't know if you've heard this one, but it was the one about how uh, keeping the word of wisdom makes men so much better fathers in a world where if fathers are in charge of the money, they tend to spend so much of the money on alcohol and tobacco mm-hmm. and yep. gambling yep. that the children end up being really deprived of you know food that could nourish them or educational opportunity. And that that's you know, from studies done on five continents on the planet. So anyway, that's a little obscure, but I did talk about that in a, in a podcast, and I know you've heard that. The point is that I'm making is that every commandment has a purpose. And, I mean, we didn't know about the tobacco, you know, problem when, when my parents in Indiana were not smoking and pretty much everybody else was. All the other parents were smoking because nobody really realized the health problems. This is such a simple example, and it's so old school now, but... 
I believe this is true of every commandment, that just like we finally discovered that like, oh, by George, there's actually a really good reason not to smoke, even though we've been doing it already out of obedience, that, there, that that's going to be true of every single commandment, like bar none. There will be no exceptions, all those commandments. And I think this secular guy had a good point. I think also just the idea that um, you know we are indulging appetites really goes so contrary again to being able to qualify at some point for power. You know, and, and when you indulge appetites, you feed them. So I like what you're saying about the discipline, the church discipline is giving a chance for us to like stop feeding that appetite so that we gain some additional mastery. It's which not comes time out. It's time. addressing human nature. That's right. I really it's believe It's addressing that. human nature. It's good for us. In fact, I, I remember working with a woman who um, had been in a prominent calling when she and had an affair. She was in an unhappy marriage and it ended up ending in divorce and and anyway this is a really good woman who did not go out there looking for trouble but um anyway did make a, a big mistake and she was excommunicated because of the position that she held at the time of the sin and um she was rebaptized in a year because she really did care about the church about god and her membership but it took her longer than she thought it would to get her blessings restored her temple covenants etc and um I remember her saying that, you know, it even cost her being able to go to the temple with a son who was preparing for a mission. And that was a heartbreak to her because she thought maybe she would be ready to do that and have the blessings restored before them. But then she told me, you know, it was another year or so after that before her blessings were restored. And she said, I can't even explain to you how much I learned and grew in that year. I grew so much more in in my understanding of what those covenants represented and anyway all these different things that were kind of revealed to her in that time of waiting and i thought that was such a beautiful testament to that she could have chosen to become bitter but she didn't she said no i'm sure there's growth in here that's why it's happening no matter what we think about the priesthood leader and maybe how you know wise or inspired you know what the lord can work with us if we are willing to yield to that process even when we don't understand the timing or we think it could have been done a different way, if we're willing to take that time and say, help, help me grow, Heavenly Father, help me learn and grow and progress and become, then you're right. Our nature will be expanded, improved, refined. All of those things are good for us. And I do think that, you know, frankly, one of the problems that I see as a counselor, <laughs> don't get me wrong, I mean, I sound like a hanging judge, and I'm not. I love people or I couldn't do what I do as a counselor, but I am sad sometimes when I see that a priesthood leader won't take action, disciplinary action, when there have been serious sins. Because I do understand human nature. And if there's you know, no real cost to that behavior, it's hard to avoid it in the future. Well, that's not even that crazy. I mean, it's funny to see kind of your trepidation, so to speak, in, in putting it this way. But it's like, well, I don't it's mean obvious. To sound harsh, but it is How obvious. How else do you learn? I mean, I mean, it's it's obvious. Like, if there's no lesson learned, you're never going to change the way you do And let me tell things. you, there are children who are really damaged by Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Because they look at that and they go, gosh, does it matter or not? Because here, maybe my dad or my mom did something really seriously wrong that even impacted us or our mm-hmm. stability as a family or whatever. And, and, you know, not even a slap on the hand, you know, or maybe a slap on the hand and that's all. And then, you know, they wonder, wow, you know, and this is a guy who is baptizing me or he's, you know, ordaining me or ordaining my brothers. It does, it it changes their perspective and it makes, it kind of rattles the cage in a, in a sad and serious way. So anyway, I, I do talk to bishops and state presidents sometimes and, 
And again, I'm not trying to tell them what to do because I know they have a mantle and I respect that. But I think sometimes we are so And the spirit of, of the law is a very big piece to all this. It is. There's no question. It is. But yeah, I, but I know I, what you're talking about. You know, and I've talked to the partners of the person who might have had very little or no discipline. And, and it's hard for them to get over it or feel safe yeah. that the message has really been received. Yeah. When it's just kind of like business as usual, and here we go, and my partner never has their nature, stopped. Has their nature the changed? How and how could it have without going through a refining process? There is a, it takes time. It takes time to change. In fact, one thing that I say to clients a lot of times is, "Don't trust fast change. <laughs> Don't trust it, because it's almost never going to last." I mean, okay, we all know there's Alma, but that's a pretty rare exception. It's not the typical story. Well, it, so. It's funny you bring that up. That's actually one of my favorite stories. I love Alma the Younger. Alma the Younger is one of my favorite figures in the Book of Mormon. He's so relatable, for one, for pretty much all of us. But mm-hmm. another, he there are two there are two parts actually I want to emphasize, and this is something I love. I love that no joke. It's it's a little bit of hubris on my part, but I love that this was something I learned on my own. This realization that set in that when Alma the Younger went through his two days of misery and being kind of taken away into the spirit and just having to basically pay for his sins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, like, we kind of, we may look at that in our subconscious and say, I mean, who couldn't last two days? Like, who couldn't tough out for two days and kind of pay for their sins and whatever? But here's the component we don't emphasize, which was that he never knew it was only going to last That's two right. days. That's for right. all he knew, he thought it was eternity, and he thought he was a damned soul. And... That right there is kind of harrowing to think about where you're like, oh, wow, that's right. Like, you don't know how long pain's going right. to last. Maybe it's going to be forever. So that's one aspect. But then the other thing is that in Alma 5, I think 43, I'm not positive on the exact verse, but it's around there, where he bears his testimony. He gives this long thing. I think he's talking about mostly faith in that chapter, but um, I could be wrong at least. No, but right. yeah, yeah, so he's talking about, talking about faith, and then he asks this rhetorical question to the audience that he's talking to, and he says, and how do I know these things? Hmm. And he says, because I have fasted and I have prayed about them. He doesn't say because an angel came I down. through two days of hell. Exactly. Mm-hmm. He doesn't talk about that experience at all as a way of giving him the knowledge that he has. He had to continually work at who he became eventually it wasn't that this one transformative experience then all of a sudden catapulted in him into who he became. It was that he actually worked towards it. It was definitely a catalyst. It stopped him in his current path. <laughs> and we've talked about this. Absolutely. Yeah. And we've talked about this before. Like, I think my my theory is that he kind of had a rough hand at life, maybe witnessing his father's own debauchery or whatever else. And that, that catalyst was necessary for that reason. And that's what makes it a little bit more unique. Because a lot of people are like, why, why can't I have an angel pop, appear down to me? But anyway, right. that's neither here nor there. But that was a catalyst. And I feel I feel like it was a necessary one. Anyway, that's what I love about Alma the Younger. Well, there are really wonderful things to that story all around. And I do love your insight. I, I hadn't thought about that myself before, you know. So I like that. And I think it's absolutely true. He didn't know how long it was going to last. That's pretty powerful. Another thing that I think is so fascinating about that story, and it is where he tells his son this story, that this detail comes out. When he talks about the angel coming and and speaking like with a voice of thunder, right? And and what does the angel say? He says, if thou wilt of thyself be destroyed, seek no more to destroy the church of God. So, I mean, let's think of the statement, you know? If you want to be destroyed yourself, that's fine. You get that choice. Everybody gets that choice. But I'm not going to let you go on this way anymore. I'm here to stop you from destroying the, the church of God. And then, this is fascinating to me, what Alma says, and I'm not reading it out of the book right now, so it could be a little off, but it's something pretty close to this where he says, 
you know, he says the angel went on, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, and he went on and said many other things to the, you know, sons I'm of I'm guessing Zaya. this is to Corey Anton that he's talking to, yeah. right? So this would have been in the early 40s, Alma, Alma 40-ish, roughly, chapter-wise. No, it's earlier. It's earlier that he talks to Corey Anton. Isn't it like 18 or something? 18, no, 19, no, no, 20? No, 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 He talks to all his sons after 32, and he goes Oh, you're right, or, because yeah. it's right after the 42 where he's talking about the atonement to Corey Anton. Exactly. That he, that then we have the, yeah. wow, I'm way off there. Okay, so yes, he's back in there where he's talking to Corianton, and he says, um, the, the angel went on and said all these things to the sons of Messiah and you know, anybody else who was there, and he says, but I did not hear them, for I was struck with such fear and amazement that I might be destroyed. That's what he says. And I think that's so fascinating. He that, thought like, he was immortal or something? Well, or? it just never occurred to well, him. Well, he didn't believe in hell, which is actually a, a what's the word, like a, a prevailing theme ideology right among now. the Antichrist, <laughs> certainly right now, but among the Antichrist in the Book of Mormon. Yeah, I mean, that's it's, right. it starts with Sharon, no heaven, essentially, no and, and Nehor takes that, it, and Korahor is like, what are we all wasting our time for? And like, it's happening right yeah, now. It's absolutely where happening. people right are now. just like, everybody's going to heaven. And so it sounds like Alma was kind of maybe, sure, maybe he was adopting the philosophy of Nehor. That's it, not impossible. That's not fascinating to kind of think about. But it's always what Satan says, it's always what he says. He gets in there and he's like, this doesn't matter. You know, there's no devil for, you know, or, you know, don't worry about that. There's no devil. Which, by the way, is actually a direct slap in the face. And this is why it becomes an ideology. It's a direct slap in the face of the atonement. Well, absolutely. Because like that, what was that, a big overreaction? Exactly. Because nobody really needed to be saved. No one needed to die for me. It doesn't matter. It's trampling afresh the Lord of life and glory and, 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 you know, acting like he's a thing of naught. So, I mean, he's really a huge sacrilege. But that's exactly where he was. And I think that's just so fascinating that he's, like, the angel is still speaking in a voice that shakes the earth. And Alma doesn't hear it because he is overcome by this thought that, like, dang, like, mm-hmm. I could really be destroyed. And that just consumes him. And that's when he falls into that basic coma where he ends up experiencing the buffetings of Satan for, for those days. So I just find that's fascinating that, like, wow, wow, there's a consequence to what I'm doing. And the, and the things there always is. And that's one of Satan's biggest lies is that it doesn't matter. A little sin, again, this is 2 Nephi 28, right? Where he says, you know, fear God, but nevertheless dig a pit for thy neighbor. Lie a little, cheat a little, you know, dig a pit for thy neighbor. Eat There's no harm in this. For tomorrow we die. Yeah. That's also neat. Yeah. Nephi 28, uh-huh. right? Yeah. So, so it is this attitude that like, you know, Nephi, sorry, it's not yeah. a big deal. It's not that big a deal. My sin isn't that big. It's not that big if I just pick and choose commandments. You know, if I kind of, you know, I'm a little liberal about the Sabbath day. If I'm just a little bit sloppy about you know, worthiness, or if I'm just, whatever, you know, I mean, it's so easy for us to slide into these, these complacencies in a world that tells us that none of it matters. None of it matters. God loves everybody. We're all going to, all going to heaven. And God does love everybody, but we're not all going to heaven. Yeah, I'm actually, I was going to put that qualifier on there as well, because I let, it's something I've been talking about a lot, is that the, the battle we're fighting right now is what does it mean? What does God's love really mean? And is it conditional? Is it unconditional? And the way I put it recently was that God's love is conditional it's always available but it depends on us to to feel it and i would say there's a measure of love that he has for even the least of us right i mean no i know but if you don't feel and when i say least i mean the biggest sinners i don't mean the most humble i mean like you know stalin and mao and hitler no absolutely he he does love but they probably don't feel it though well they won't let themselves feel that's true but also i would say that um you know there's no way he's giving them the keys to the vault and that that trust is an essential component of complete love. So does God love all his children? Yeah. Does he have complete love for all of them? No way. 
you can't turn your back on people like that. And, and God, again, has so much to offer. He's not giving the keys to the kingdom to somebody who doesn't show love to God by following his commandments and completely, like willingly, at all hazards. You know, that, that ultimate commitment where, you know, John Taylor is one of my many heroes who um, had a motto, which was, you know, the kingdom of God or nothing. <laughs> and that's, that's how I feel. Like, the kingdom of God or nothing. It's got to be, you got to be all in. I mean, it's all in. Okay, I'm just on a roll here, so forgive me, but I'm going to tell this other story, too. Peter, I might have to make this a two-parter. We'll see. Well, Peter is another one of my great heroes, and he, um, you know, when Christ comes to wash the feet of his apostles, uh, Peter says, no, thou shalt never wash my feet. And the, and the Lord says, then you can have no part of me. And Peter then says what? He says, not just my feet, but my head and my hands also, mm. which is so tender to me. And that's who I want to be. That's who I try to be is then whatever, you know, head and hands also. Like I want all of it. I want all of you. I want to be a piece of all of what you offer. I want to be that best version of myself that can have a birth in Jesus Christ, that, that is born in Christ. And that's, that's my rebirth in Christ to my better self, my better potential, my fulfillment of my, of my callings. Anyway, that's what I want. I want it. I want all of it. I want all of it. And it requires everything. The kingdom of God or, or nothing. You know, I've got to put it all there. Can't hold anything back. Absolutely. The, the worthiest of goals. And with that, I think we can probably go ahead and close it out. But as always, thanks, Mom, for coming on and I always enjoy our discussions, so it's why Me not too. record some of them. And I definitely wanted to get this one out there for the people that listen to my podcast. I've had a lot of feedback when you come on, and people really love having you on and well, listening to what you. you have to say. So always appreciate that. Really fun to be with you. I really enjoy our discussions all the time. Like you said, we might as well record a few of them. <laughs> right, might as well. Um, happy birthday! As we sign off here, by Thank the way. Thank you very much. And with that, we'll go ahead and call it a day. Bye bye. There's an hourglass sitting on my table I'm watching As everything's changing my mind Going to a different time Oh, love, I remember falling so mad